Judge Thomas, you solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth to help you God. I do. Please be seated. When I was six, I wandered the streets by myself. You were hungry and didn't know when you'd eat. Someplace in my life, the road split off. I had gone to the seminary. I had gone to all white schools. I was never going to be a part of that world. I was never going to be white. The problem is I can never go back completely to the world I came from. We're supposed to be revolutionaries. We were for anybody who's kind of in your face. I saw what I had become, lashing out at every single thing. And then I asked God that if you take anger out of my heart, I'll never hate again. And that was the beginning of the slow return to where I started. I want my candidacy to unify our country. I was under a constant attack. You're not really black because you're not doing what we expect black people to do. I will nominate Judge Clarence Thomas to serve as Associate Justice of the United States Supreme Court. That's when all heck broke loose. Judge Thomas began to use work situations to discuss sex. We know exactly what's going on here. This is the wrong black guy. He has to be destroyed. You really didn't matter. What mattered was what they wanted. So you'd still like to serve on the Supreme Court? I'd rather die than withdraw from the process. I wouldn't be able to say I lived up to my oath and did my best. Well, that is the voice and that is the story of the great justice, Clarence Thomas. You know, he's been under attack ever since he got nominated for Supreme Court. And as you've heard him say, he's the wrong kind of black man. Uh, We'll get into that today, but it's not just about Clarence Thomas. There is an attack on conservatives in the Supreme Court that is absolutely frightening. And so we're going to discuss this today with uh, a gentleman who's right in the thick of it all. His name is Mike Davis, and he'll join us in just a second. But before we talk to Mike, let me just remind you that Preborn is our incredible sponsor for this endeavor. We're going to take a moment right now to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, and that's babies in their mother's wombs. Preborn is truly the work of God as they save babies and love moms. And because of your generosity, Preborn's network of clinics has rescued over 200,000 babies by introducing mothers to their babies through ultrasounds. Preborn receives no government funding, so they are completely dependent on us. And together, we are building an army of life to stand against the principalities of darkness If everyone listening today sponsored just one ultrasound for $28, we could change the world. To donate securely, just go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. All gifts are tax deductible, so perhaps consider a corporate donation or appreciated stock as the market is up right now. You can use your write-offs to save precious babies' lives, and you will never regret saving a defenseless baby's life. Go to preborn.com slash Sandy. All right, well, uh, this is going to be quite a discussion, and it's important to each and every one of us, so I hope you'll sit back and 
Listen carefully to this version of Sandy Rios 24-7. From American Family Radio, Sandy Rios. We are not called to be nice. We are often called to be confrontational. And here with me in D.C. is Fox News contributor Sandy Rios. I think the most important thing we need to demonstrate to our children is genuineness. That we actually believe what we say we believe. A longtime Fox News contributor, Sandy Rios, thanks very much for being with us. Seek justice. Not social justice, but God's justice. What's right and what's wrong. Sandy Rios is with the American Family Association. A pro-life radio talk show host. We've got to say this is the line. Life is sacred. Director of Governmental Affairs for the American Family Association. Step up. Speak up. Say something. Do something. Not only is this Democratic proposal unconstitutional, it is unnecessary. The attacks on conservative justices are targeted. They're exaggerated. The alarmism is affected. The danger isn't that rogue justices are operating without ethics. It's that Democrats aren't winning every fight and they find that reality intolerable. All right, that's the voice of Senator John Kennedy, who earlier, not long ago, recently said at a Supreme Court ethics reform hearing led by the Democrats uh, that he he stated exactly what's happening. There are attacks going on against all of the conservative justices, not the ones on the other side, mind you, just the conservative justices. I think we all saw that something was really wrong beginning back when uh, uh, Justice Kavanaugh was going undergoing confirmation, and we saw those incredible hearings, the di- disruptions. The it was it was a stunning thing to see how they treated uh, Justice Kavanaugh during those hearings. Brett Kavanaugh, I, I just think we were all it was just jaw jaw dropping. But that was nothing uh, to what was to come. Now since that time, oh how quaint it was that they would give him a hard time in a hearing. Now we've moved to attempted assassin- assassinations. And now by to drips by a thousand cuts to all of these conservative justices. I can't think of anyone better to talk about this with than my guest is Mike Davis. Mike is the former chief counsel for nominations to the Senate Judiciary Chairman Chuck Grassley. Uh, he's the founder and president of Article 3 Project. And uh, Article 3 Project defends constitutionalist judges and the rule of law. Uh, Mike does so many different things, but I think I... I would best identify him. You may remember, those of you that listen to the morning show, that Mike was uh, very involved shepherding the Brett Kavanaugh hearing in his capacity as chief counsel for nominations for the Senate. He oversaw floor votes for 278 nominees, record numbers under the uh, the uh, Trump administration. And, of course, he then he left. When he left, he actually ended up uh, leading the team uh, that – managed to get Justice Gorsuch successfully confirmed to the Supreme Court. All right, so he joins us today. Good morning, Mike. Thank you for having me. I think I got that backwards. Gorsuch was before Kavanaugh, right? Yeah, I I led the outside effort for Gorsuch, and then to get him set up on the court, and then I worked for the Senate Judiciary Committee to confirm Kavanaugh. Okay. All right, you know, we don't even need to, I guess we could, but recount the Kavanaugh hearing. It was jaw-dropping. And you had a front row seat to that, for good or for for ill. Uh, what were you? At, did you think, Mike, that okay? This is a naive question, but did you think, as a person who believes in law and order, and at the time we still had some measure of uh, judicial uh, fairness, 
did you ever think that you'd see anything worse than what happened in that that chamber and what they did to uh, Brett Kavanaugh during that? Did you think that was the worst? No, and I knew. I, I mean, I knew from the very moment when the first hearing for Kavanaugh was ending and that the Democrat staffers deadly skipped off and they ran to a, a, another room, I, I knew something was up. And then, of course, the something that was up were, were the bogus allegations by Christine Blasey Ford against Brett Kavanaugh. And, of course, the Democrats couldn't just stick to Christine Blasey Ford's bogus allegations that too many people believed. The Democrats then rolled out five other allegations against Kavanaugh, progressively more stupid allegations that undermine Christine Blasey Ford's. And it was just a disgrace what the Democrats did to Justice Kavanaugh. They they tried to smear him like they tried to smear Justice Clarence Thomas, and it didn't work. And fortunately, both of them are on the Supreme Court, and now we have the first constitutionalist majority on the Supreme Court in 90 yes. years, and this constitutionalist majority is starting to put the government back in its place. Boy, that's the truth, and we're going to get to that because we're going to get to the the nut of why they're so angry. You know, I just an aside, this E. Jean Carroll case with President Trump, uh, E. Jean Carroll and this whole charade of a uh, of a courtroom with these accusations 30 years ago of rape by President Trump that she's so traumatized 30 years ago, hasn't brought it up, brought it up until 30 years past. Uh, she reminds me so much of Christine Blasey Ford, just shadows of the same method. Didn't, don't you think that's kind of like same but different? Yeah, I mean, they're, they, they always do this, whether it's Anita Hill or Christine Blasey Ford, now there's Jean Carroll. They always seem to come up with these uh, nut job women who want to accuse conservative men of sexual abuse, uh, evidence free. They can't remember when, they can't remember how, but they can certainly remember they only had one beer and it was Brett Kavanaugh, uh, or they can remember the so so called rape scene that the jury just said was nonsense yesterday. Yeah. And but they may, and they make a lot of money. It, and Christine Blasey Ford made yeah. you know she made a lot of attention in their community, meaning. The left, the woke crowd—they are—they are celebrities, and then they make all of this money. It—it is a travesty. It really, really is. Well, now we go to a different kind of method of attack, which we—I think we're seeing it played out primarily. At least I know there are others, but I think Justice Thomas, Clarence Thomas, and his wife Jenny have uh, received more attacks in this way than just about any way, and that's so-called ethics violations. Um, it's I, I think it's like death by a thousand cuts, Mike. It's just over and over and over again. It's wearing. There's nothing. Okay, I'm I'm spoiling what you're going to say here, but from my perspective and what I've looked at, there's just nothing to the charges, and yet it wears these people out. It, it's the meant to do that, meant to drive them uh, to to stop what they're doing, to stop their momentum or discourage them. Just your words. What's happening here with this, these ethics violations? Well, they have uh, the Democrats have hated Clarence Thomas for 40 years since he escaped the Democrats' plantation. Jenny Thomas, as we both know, never worked in the Democrats' kitchen, and they've tried to chase Clarence, Clarence Thomas uh, off the Supreme Court even before he went on the Supreme Court nearly uh, 32 years ago, and it's not going to work. It's going to backfire. And what we have going on here is President Trump transformed the Supreme Court with the appointments of Justices Gorsuch. 
Kavanaugh and uh, Justice Amy Coney Barrett replacing uh, Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg, we have the first constitutionalist majority on the Supreme Court in nearly 90 years. And Democrats do not like this because they've lost control of the court. We went from the five to four left of center court to the five to four Clarence Thomas court. And that means this court is going to put a critical check on government overreach. And so it's going to protect everyday American folks. And we saw during COVID and BLM riots that Democrats don't care about any of those uh, God-given rights, those natural rights that all Americans have. And so they're going to try to delegitimize Supreme Court is in the Democrats' way. And that's what you're seeing here is this organized campaign. A good, again, they couldn't just stick to Clarence Thomas. They had to go They had to go against all of the justices or bring in all the conservative justices. They went after my former boss, Gorsuch, for teaching a course, uh, which the, the judicial ethics encouraged judges to do. They went after uh, trying to say that somehow his his hearing that I ran, the investigation that I ran as the chief counsel for nominations for then-chairman Chuck Grassley, was somehow flawed, which is just complete nonsense. They're going after that even the chief, they couldn't help themselves. They went after even the chief justice because his wife gave up the lucrative practice of law when he became a Supreme Court, when he became the chief justice, and she became a legal recruiter so as to avoid uh, having issues before the Supreme Court. Now, somehow, <clears throat> that's an ethics violation. Going after, going after Clarence Thomas, because he has this best friend of more than 25 years, Harlan Crow, and he goes on trips with his best friend, and his best friend has helped Justice Thomas and Jenny Thomas with a troubled great-nephew that they helped raise, and Harlan Crow offered to help this kid who was very troubled. Justice Thomas and Ginny Thomas had no obligation whatsoever to take care of this kid, and they did it because they're good people. And Justice Thomas had a rough childhood, and he wanted to give they wanted to give this young kid a better life. And it was a difficult time for them. And Harlan, as their best friend, wanted to offer help to to step in and help to help this kid get a good life. And somehow that's an ethics violation. Harlan Crow had no business before the Supreme Court. He wanted nothing out of this. But the Democrats want to trash Justice Thomas because they hate him because he's a black man who thinks for himself. And they also hate the fact they lost control of the Supreme Court. So they want to trash him so they can delegitimize him, so they can destroy the Supreme Court. They're not going to chase Clarence Thomas off the Supreme Court. All the Democrats are going to do is embolden him. Yeah. Well, remember when he said in his hearing, I'd rather die then uh, then uh, redraw from the, my nomination. I'd rather die. <laughs> I, I wish I had that clip, but I mean, that's the kind of man he is. And I think now, Gorse, um, Kavanaugh seems to be okay. You probably, I don't know if you can comment on this, Mike, but they seem to have been a bit of success, has some success with kind of frightening him. I, I, at least I hope that some of his decisions have been out of fear. I hope they weren't really what he believed. I've been very disappointed in his decisions. I, I think he's, actually, he's go ahead, I, defend. Uh, <laughs> I've actually, I've actually had the opposite uh, thoughts that you have. When, I, when they nominated him, the first hearing, remember, I wasn't, I, you know, I was the chief counsel for nominations. I wasn't uh, ecstatic about his nomination when, when he was first nominated because I thought he was too, um, he was too much in the mold of Chief Justice John Roberts, where he was too moderate, too incremental, was more concerned about the public relations than he is about just following the law, letting the chips fall where they may. And I'll tell you, 
he testified that that John Roberts was his role model in that first hearing. And you look at what the Democrats have done to this man, what they've done to Kavanaugh, essentially accusing him of serial gang rape in his teenage years, even though he testified he was a virgin well into his 20s. So I think they've red-pilled him. I think, I think the Democrats have pushed him to the right, and I think a good example of that is the Dobbs decision, where uh, Justice Kavanaugh joins the four other conservatives to overturn Roe versus Wade, whereas the Chief Justice would have uh, would have uh, not overturned and just uh, struck down those abortion regulations. So I think that Kavanaugh has been moved to the right, and I think we're going to see Kavanaugh with the Chevron case moving to the right. Frankly, I think they've moved the Chief Justice to the right by going after him, by attacking him, by oh, showing yeah, that they don't operate in good faith. Well, the, you know, the, the things work in strange ways, and I'm glad to hear your take on that. I really am. I I. I'm glad to hear that you feel that way, and I do trust your judgment, Mike. I've just bought, saw, seen some other uh, decisions that disappointed me, but I don't watch it like you do. So I'm glad to hear that. I truly am. And I think we should talk um, We should talk a minute about the cases that are coming up because uh, they, they're, they're, they're out in June, right, or the end of June, and they also always issue big decisions uh, sometime in the end of May or June. So what's coming up that's got the left all, you know, apoplectic and trying to dis- disturb and destroy uh, the uh, the credibility of the court right before these decisions? What are those decisions that they're going to be making? Well, there are several decisions, and they, they go to the fact that the federal government does not have the power that it claims it has. Remember, under our Constitution, it is a loan agreement. We, the people, loan the federal government specific, enumerated, and divided powers. They have to be in the Constitution in order for the federal government to have those powers. The words written in the Constitution are enumerated, and then they're divided among the three co-equal branches of the federal government. The, uh, the Congress writes the laws, the executive branch executes the laws, and the judiciary interprets and applies the laws. And over the last 90 years, that has been flipped on its head. The switch in time that, that changed land during FDR, the federal government uh, essentially returned the Constitution from a shield that protects us from the federal government into a sword that the federal government uses to come after us. And uh, that was when FDR threatened to pack the Supreme Court in order to get more power because the, the Supreme Court was correctly striking down his very popular but unconstitutional BBO programs. It's now, so now we have this all-powerful federal government that our founders never envisioned, and even worse, this federal power that's supposed to be divided among the three branches is actually consolidated, and these unelected uh, executive branch bureaucrats, the Tony Fauci's of the world, who have way too much power and they're unaccountable. And you're going to start to see the Supreme Court rolling back that power this term. It's called Chevron deference, where the Supreme Court is no longer no longer going to defer to these administrative agencies, this administrative state, on their interpretation of their own power. It's going to be the, the, the judiciary's job to determine what the statute says and what their powers are. And that's going to be a game changer where you're not going to have the CDC unilaterally controlling every aspect of our life through COVID lockdowns anymore. That if, if Congress wants to legislate it, uh, uh, something that needs to come from Congress and the executive branch needs to enforce those laws. They don't get to write the laws and they don't get to interpret the laws. That's the power for Congress and the judiciary. And then you also have an EPA case about whether the EPA even has the power to to do what it claims 
that it has the power to do under the statute. And I think you're going to start to see over the next five years, this constitutionalist majority on the Supreme Court is really going to start to roll back the federal government's powers to what the founders intended, or more so in that direction. And I think that's why you're seeing these constant attacks by the Democrats on the Supreme Court. They're trying to delegitimize the Supreme Court. Well, that's really interesting. Mike, I didn't even know about the Chevron case. I didn't know about that. And I I would say, you know, just for people listening, I think, to my knowledge, it was Barack Obama who I saw weaponize, you know, the various uh, administrative, uh, the various departments. Uh, Many of them developed SWAT teams, started buying bullets. Uh, I will never forget when the SWAT team went into the Gibson Guitar Factory because they had some wood in their guitars that was internationally banned. I, it was the, the most bizarre. And, of course, people were arrested for, uh, for misusing water on their own property and fined hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars. People were ruined, and they are still being probably in ways we don't know uh, because of the administrative state, the IRS. They all wield power, is what you're saying, that they, they don't really have. That would be huge. With a, that'd be a, that would be a Trump-worthy huge. And uh, so thanks for telling us about that or explaining that. You know, one thing, one point I try to make on this, Mike, is I don't think, I watch, uh, I was watching MSNBC uh, a few days ago because I like to know, you know, what the other side is saying. And they were having this discussion about Clarence Thomas. And it was, uh, I think PBS just unveiled a documentary on Clarence Thomas. And of course, Created Equal was a PBS documentary way back or at least done by Michael Pack, as a PBS documentarian. Created Equal was the story of his life, which was wonderful. Now this is a new story of his life, uh, and they described it. Uh, and it was a very different Clarence Thomas, and they talked about you know, how uh, he was rejected everywhere, and he was bitter. And the way he found his way forward was through Jenny Thomas, whose mother was the leader in a far-right, like John Birch Society organization. Now, they're talking about Eagle Forum. They don't mention Eagle Forum, but that's what they accuse her mother of. And then one more, one more point. Uh, the, my point I want to make is I don't think people believe this stuff anymore, Mike. I just think well, the they average... shouldn't believe this stuff. They shouldn't believe this stuff because what the Democrats are doing here is an organized campaign uh, where you have these Democrat Senate staffers, these Democrat operatives are working with their Democrat lapdogs in the mainstream or liberal media to plant these bogus stories to go after these Supreme Court justices. And they misstate the facts. They misconstrue what happened. They leave out facts. This is part of an organized campaign. They did the same thing to Kavanaugh during the Christine Blasey Ford and Michael Avenatti and Julie Swetnick nonsense during the Kavanaugh confirmations. Now they're doing it again. Again, they can't just, they can't focus. They can't just stick to, to one issue with Clarence Thomas. They have to bring in like five other issues and they have to bring in all the other justices and it just progressively gets stupider and stupider and stupider and the American people can see right through it. You know, one one comment I want to share with you, unless you were watching MSNBC and saw this yourself, I uh, Al Sharpton, they brought in Al Sharpton to discuss Clarence Thomas. And basically he said, you know, I was invited to go into his office uh, a long time ago and I didn't want to go, but I went. And as I heard him talking, I realized he really believes what he says. He really believes it, and that makes it all the much more frightening. 
Well, that that just was to me that just proved their disproved their whole point. He is like um, he is he cannot be shaken. He actually believes, and that was what Al Sharpton thought was a detriment, but it was actually a great compliment that should have told people with uh, eyes ears for truth that that's the kind of man he is. Uh, I know, Mike, you're always writing uh, to push back on this stuff. You're appearing on so many programs and making the case so beautifully and articulately. But what? What other things are happening as pushback to this attempted destruction of these conservative justices? Well, I mean, that's a good question. I, I, it, it, oftentimes, this is a lonely fight for us at the Article 3 project, where it's us out there uh, fighting back against these allegations. And it seems like a lot of the other groups that are very well-funded uh, sit on the sidelines with all the money. So I... It, I I'd encourage all the other conservative groups, other conservative activists to speak up because we need to show a groundswell of support for these conservative justices. They are lifetime protected. They, uh, they, they have pay protection, they, you know, lifetime tenure pay protection, but they're still human beings. And Democrats know that if they beat on these justices all day, every day, it just makes their lives miserable. It makes their lives more difficult. That's why it's important for conservative groups and for conservative activists to get in the ring and fight back. Uh, Democrats only respect power. This is not our parents or grandparents' Democrat Party. These are not liberals who love America. These are leftists. These are Marxists. They hate America. They hate equality. They believe in equity. They hate free speech. They believe in censorship. They hate due process. They believe in Me Too presumption of guilt and politicized and weaponized justice systems, including these ethics regimes that they want to put in to take out conservative Supreme Court justices. It's amazing. They never talk about the fact that Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg's husband had cases before the Supreme Court or Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson failed to disclose her doctor's medical malpractice payments from who knows what companies for however many years and whether those companies had business before Kataji Brown Jackson when she was a D.C. trial court judge, D.C. Uh, circuit court judge, and not on the Supreme Court. We don't even know who Kataji Brown Jackson's husband is receiving money from for his medical malpractice consulting, but you don't see Republicans accusing them of being corrupt, right? And so I think it's important for Republicans, conservatives to get out there to defend these conservative judges constantly because they're, they're going to need it constantly and to also punch back against the Democrats on this stuff. Yeah. What, one uh, other thing in regard to the attacks on them. This I've never gotten a satisfactory answer for this, Mike. Uh, the, the, the protesters, you know, well, I don't know when they start. I guess they started. It seems like it's been streamless, seamless since Kavanaugh came under attack, but now they are, they've outed their addresses, which is illegal. Somebody made their addresses public. This has been happening now for a few years, and now there are protesters out in front of their house, at least under, in front of uh, uh, Clarence and Jenny Thomas's house, and probably Kavanaugh, I don't know who, Alito, I don't know. And it's in Virginia, and the Governor Yunkin, you would think, is sympathetic. I don't doubt that he is. But my understanding is that it's, it's against the law, to protest in front of a Supreme Court justice's house or to, I don't know what the words are, there is a law against that type of activity. Why does no one stop that? I don't understand that. 
Yeah, this is where Merrick Garland, the Attorney General of the United States, should be impeached because we have a federal statute. It's 18 U.S.C. 1507. It is obstruction of justice under federal law to protest outside of a Supreme Court justice's home or any federal judge's home for the purposes of threatening or intimidating them on cases. And that's exactly what these illegal obstruction of justice campaigns have been doing for months and months and months and months since the Dobbs leak. And they are constantly harassing and intimidating these Supreme Court justices and their families. It led to several of them having to go to safe houses, go out of their homes and go to another home. And it led to a 1 a.m. assassination attempt against Justice Kavanaugh, his wife, Ashley, and their two teenage daughters. And not only has the Biden Justice Department, including Merrick Garland, not done anything about this, they've actually encouraged this in several different ways, where you had Jen Psaki, then the White House press secretary, saying from the podium, the White House podium, that they had a First Amendment right to be there. They absolutely do not have a First Amendment right to be there. You do not have a First Amendment right to protest in front of anyone's home. The Supreme Court decided that like 60 years ago because those people have nowhere else to go. If you're protesting outside of the home, there are time, place, and manner restrictions. And you do not have a First Amendment right to obstruct justice by threatening and intimidating Supreme Court justices outside of their home. You talked about boxing of home addresses. That is a deadly game. You saw Judge Esther Salas in Ob- Uh, A Democrat-appointed federal judge in New Jersey had her uh, 20-year-old son, Daniel, murdered and her husband, Mark, seriously wounded in their home when a deranged lunatic showed up and shot them because they got doxxed. This is a deadly game. And we have the Attorney General, the uh, the Biden Justice Department has a stand-down order for the U.S. Marshals. Not only uh, they can't arrest, and we think that stand-down order led to the fact that they could that they didn't follow this guy. They didn't tail this guy who showed up in front of Justice Kavanaugh's home at 1 a.m. And so they couldn't follow him because of the stand-down order. And so the guy went behind Justice Kavanaugh's home, and he came a lot closer to assassinating the Kavanaugh's than people understand. Oh, my gosh. That's just that's horrendous. It's horrendous. And, you know, we can't leave this little point without reminding everyone that Chuck Schumer, who was the leader in the Senate, the Democratic leader in the Senate, stood at the podium and said, and I remember, I want to tell you, Gorsuch, I want to tell you, Kavanaugh, you have released the whirlwind and you will pay the price. You won't know what hit you if you go forward with these awful decisions. That was an illegal threat, was it not? Uh, it certainly was. Uh, you, <laughs> you, that was certainly an illegal threat. And they remember they went on the steps. They were, they they had protesters beating on the Supreme Court door. Look, this <laughs> they're playing for keeps here, and you know it's it's pretty sick what they're doing. These same Democrats who claim they care about separate institutions of government and they care about democracy, they certainly don't do that when it comes to the Supreme Court because. They're encouraging this deadly game of these home protests in front of the Supreme Court justices' homes. They're threatening them. Their party leaders are threatening them. They're th- now the Democrats are threatening to cut off their security details if the Supreme mm-hmm. Court does not adopt an unnecessary and unconstitutional ethics regime imposed on them by Senate Democrats. It's just insane what's going on here. And I hope 
that the House, the Republicans in the House, uh, start to punch back a little bit here. If you're going to go after the Supreme Court justices' security, then maybe we'll go after uh, President Biden's family security. Maybe Hunter Biden doesn't need a security detail anymore. If the Supreme Court justices don't need a, a security detail because they don't have an ethics regime that the Democrats want, then you know what? Maybe Hunter Biden doesn't need a security detail because he's a scumbag who doesn't follow ethics. A lot of things need to be done. There's no question about it, Mike. It's just uh, it's stunning. But you know what? The, the, it encourages me that people are fighting. But you encourage me. The, the House Republican, the, the Freedom Caucus, they encourage me. They're actually getting some things done. Now, maybe it's not, uh, they, it doesn't have the teeth that they would like for it to have, but I think there's power in truth, and that's what you bring, Mike. I think there's, there's power in the light being brought to things, and we don't know what the future holds. Uh, once these things are uh, explained and written, like you spend so much time laying them out, uh, that's not going to go away. And no matter what happens, it's not going to go away. And I just pray and hope that someday there will be accountability. But right now, right now, uh, we're going to do, give this fight. Let me just say that, Mike, you can find his writings. If you want to find anything that we've talked about, you can go to Article, article 3, and that's the, the number 3, article3project.org. That's article3project.org. Can I ask you one more? Unre- it's related but not related, just quick. Of course. You know, there's a there, uh, the Daily Caller reported that Justice Alito said he had a pretty good idea. I think he gave an interview, actually, to the Wall Street Journal. A pretty good idea who leaked that Dobbs versus Jackson decision. He said, uh, I think I know who it is, but uh, I can't say because we need a different level of proof that to, to name someone properly. Uh, he also said it was infuriating. He said, look, this made us targets of assassination. Would I do that to myself? Would the five of us have done that to ourselves? It's quite implausible. Just your comments on that dangling thing. Why? Why is that still dangling? Why don't we know? You know, I actually give the Chief Justice credit for this investigation. I know that, I, that he gets a lot of it, uh, takes a lot of heat, it gets attacked quite a bit for for uh, being too squishy, but I'll tell you, if you read the report, they actually did a very thorough investigation. They questioned all the justices uh, subject to 18 U.S.C. 1001. They questioned all the law clerks. They questioned the staff. They got phone records. They got emails. They got text messages. What it came down to is this law clerk, and it was almost certainly one of the 12 law clerks to the three Democrat-appointed justices because they had the access uh, and, and motivation and knowledge to do what they did with this leak. It wasn't just the draft decision. It was also the internal deliberations. And I agree with uh, Justice Alito that it was not one of the justices. It was one of the law clerks. It was one of these 12 liberal law clerks. It comes down to this this liberal law clerk clearly lied to federal investigators. This person probably printed off the draft opinion that was circulating, gave it to this her reporter friend, along with the internal deliberations, there's no paper trail, there's no electronic trail, and this person will eventually get caught. They, this person lied, and she will eventually get caught one day, and she will be brought to justice. And so, um, you know, it's it's she, her intent was to. Uh, she, I think she thought if, if they're going to overturn Roe versus Wade, we're just going to destroy the Supreme Court, and if justices get killed, so be it. And I. That almost played out. So this person will get caught. She will be charged. She will be disbarred. She will be brought to justice. So whether it's in six months or a year or two years, she'll come to justice. Do you think the other justices know who did it? I think everyone knows who did it. 
Wow. Wow. All right. Well, this has been a great conversation, Mike. I think maybe the theme of our discussion this morning is there will be justice. I like that theme. Uh, But you can reach uh, Mike or you can read his stuff and access his great knowledge at article3project.org. That's article3project.org. Mike Davis, thank you so much for joining us today. We so appreciate it. Thank you, Sandy. Well, that was a fascinating discussion with Mike Davis, and and we're going to I've asked Bruce to join me in just a few minutes. Bruce, of course, is a former prosecutor in Cook County, uh, Chicago. He's also a former FBI agent, and he's been listening to this conversation. And I want I just want to get his take on some of this, and he'll join us in just a second. But for now, we're going to take a moment to speak up for little ones who cannot speak for themselves. And you know who I'm talking about. I'm talking about babies and their mother's womb. Preborn. Preborn. They're our sponsor, and they are truly doing the work of God as they save those babies and love their moms. And all of that's because of your generosity. Preborn's network of clinics has rescued over 200,000 babies by introducing mothers to their babies through ultrasound. Preborn receives no government funding, and they are completely dependent on us. Together, we are building an army of life to stand against the principalities of darkness. If everybody listening today sponsored just one ultrasound for $28, we could change the world. To donate securely, go to preborn.com slash Sandy. That's preborn.com slash Sandy. All your gifts are tax deductible. Uh, maybe even a corporate donation would be something you can consider, depending on what, what you do for a living uh, or appreciated stock. Uh, you can use your write-offs to save precious babies' lives. And you will never regret saving a defenseless baby's life. Go to preborn.com slash Sandy today. And by the way, you know you can call us. You know you can call us and leave a message at 662-821-2040. That's 662-821-2040. We recently had a lot of fun with your phone calls, and we plan to do that again. And your email. You can email us at sandy at afr.net. That's sandy at afr.net. Okay, relax because or have fun or do something, but don't go away because Bruce joins me next as we consider some of the things that Mike Davis just shared with us. Sandy Rios 24-7 is growing, and we want to help you grow too. If your business or nonprofit is interested in sponsoring Sandy Rios 24-7, you can email us at infoagemedia247 at gmail.com. That's infoagemedia247 at gmail.com. This is Sandy Rios 24-7 on American Family Radio. Well, it's stereotypes draped in sanctimony and self-congratulation. There's different sets of rules for different people. If you criticize a a black person who's more liberal, you're racist. Whereas if you can do whatever to me or to now Ben Carson, uh, and that's fine because you're not really black because you're not doing what we expect black people to do.
it's a tactic. And when people see it being successful, they don't realize they're going to be the next ones in the Tower of London. That's the voice of Justice Clarence Thomas, and that's from his documentary, Created Equal. Actually, it's not, it's not his documentary. It was produced by Michael Pack, who was an NPR uh, filmmaker. It's a wonderful, I can't say enough about it, but it tells the story of his life. And we, we touched on, at the top of the show, the, the left coming after Clarence Thomas and his wife Jenny with a vengeance. It's just amazing to me. And so, but he's not the only one coming under attack. All the conservative justices are, you know, taking their place in the queue. It's really disgusting. We just talked about that with Mike. But, you know, Clarence was, his hearing was, way, he was nominated in 1991, and they really did put him through hell. And guess who the chairman of the committee was at the time? Well, it's somebody that you might be familiar with. His name is Joe Biden. Joe Biden was so cocky and uh, demeaning to Clarence Thomas, it was shocking. Uh, and that's why, that what's what brought Clarence Thomas to the point of saying this is nothing more than a high-tech lynching. So uh, it was quite a dramatic thing, but some things never changed because now, however many years hence, uh, the left is screaming on his driveway every night, he and Jenny's, even though it's against the law, uh, and um, c- accusing him left and right of administrative crimes for which he's not guilty. And I think Mike pretty thoroughly explained that. But it's true of all the justices, and I've asked Bruce to join me because this is his bailiwick. He was an attorney for many years in Cook County, and was an attorney with the FBI, among other things. Uh, and he has some expertise and some comments on this. So thanks for joining me, honey. Thanks for having me. All right, first of all, just your comments about the disparity now. I don't know what occurs to you when we listen to that clip from, from Justice Thomas. Well, you know, it, it really is, if you even want to go break it down to the Constitution, uh, the 14th Amendment, equal protection, it's amazing how the left picks and chooses who equal protection will be applied to. It's like the ACLU comes out and says, oh, we represent all people that are, are wronged. But that's not true at all. If, if you're, an, uh, if you're uh, an abortion doctor, they'll come and represent you like nobody's business if you're come after. But if you are an anti-abortion person and you're being persecuted, the ACLU is nowhere to be found. And it's the same thing with this. Um, these ju- this action by the left, this protest, this ongoing protest at the uh, conservative justice homes, it's like something the mafia would do. Uh, you know, the mafia used to go to store owners and go, uh, you know, you need to pay us $100 a week to take care of your store because we would hate to see something happen to it, like somebody burn it down hint, hint. It's the same thing with this. We are The left, I think, is going to continue these protests outside these justices' homes until they bow the knee and start ruling the way the left wants them to rule. I think of that. I said this with Mike, but I had to repeat it. I remember this moment in the hearing with Clarence Thomas when he said, I would rather die than withdraw this nomination. Uh, so, you know, they're, they're not going to take him down. He's not going to stop. I, the others, we'll see. Yeah. Uh, but it is, it is wearing on them. He, uh, Mike mentioned something, Bruce, in that conversation. He talked about the Chevron case coming up before the Supreme Court 
uh, in June. And he, but he didn't really elaborate much more than he said that it would rain in the administrative state. We all know, to restate, that the various agencies have taken on powers that are not constitutional, that are very dangerous to us. And they have exerted a lot of authority over individuals when we're just helpless because it's the government. It's huge. It's monolithic. They have all the resources. But I don't understand that Chevron case. Can you explain that a little bit? Well, let's start with what is administrative law. Administrative law is really the law that regulates the operation and the procedures of government agencies. Now, who are the government agencies that we're talking about? Just a few. The Department of Agriculture, the Department of Commerce, the Department of Defense, HHS, uh, Education. Really, the people that regulate our lives. You know, we, we think that these cases that go in front of the Supreme Court are, are important regarding uh, taxes and things. Listen, the power in this country is really vested in these administrative agencies, which are run by people who are not elected, but no they're accountability. Appointed. No accountability. They're appointed by politicians. No accountability. Just think, have you ever tried to take on a government agency? Like you disagree with, say, the IRS. You disagree with the IRS and you try to go to bat against them. Well, good luck. I mean, you might win, but the odds are they're going to just outweigh you, outspend you, and finally crush you. And um, so... You know, I well, let me just interject one thought here, just so people can. People may have heard the phrase or the, the the moniker "administrative state." That's what they're talking about. This mm-hmm. is a whole entity of our government that's silent behind the scenes, that has power that we can't touch and that we are subject to. The administrative state, uh, and let me just clarify one thing: there, are, yes, a lot of them are appointed, but a lot of them get these jobs, and they can't be fired. Right. And they are institutionalized. They become like a... It's a huge... It's just huge, isn't it? We've both been there. Civil service protection. Um, you know, I've worked for the federal government. I mean, unless you do something totally illegal, not even illegal anymore, we see people still keep their jobs despite uh, problems. Say, can we say Lois Lerner? <laughs> yes, Lois Lerner. <laughs> yeah. Um, and what the left has strategically done is they have figured out that these administrative agencies wield this kind of vast power. And they have, just like in the universities, they have gone into these administrative agencies. You you hear the term deep state. The deep state, a lot of it is these administrative agencies. Um, We don't think of it that way. We think of it as the intelligence agencies. But it's also, you know, the Department of Education – Think of the power that they wield. We just treasury. Uh, yeah, okay. you know, Randy Weingarten, the, the, the president of the teachers union. She go. She basically runs the Department of Education. Yeah. She tells them when you can open schools, when you can't. Uh, what we need for um, education curriculum. I mean, that is power. Let me let me just also interject, uh, Bruce. I, I I'm sure people don't know this. I'm just pretty confident because it's so obscure. It doesn't make the headlines. But I want to tell you that when President Trump was president, we were still in D.C., he accumulated this. He doesn't get credit for this because people don't recognize the need. I Hopefully after this discussion they will. He put together an incredible team of people. Russ Vault was one of those. Russ is a good friend 
Uh, Russ was in charge of that. And they went, they demanded that all of the agencies went through their rules and regulations and slashed them. They slashed them. They got rid of every agency, just slash, slash, got rid of, marked out, stopped these rules, just taking away their power in that way. They were so successful at that. And of course, then uh, he was defeated and all that work was gone. Uh, but that's what they did, and it was a v- great service to this country, but n- n- that no one knows about. Well, yeah, I, I think the uh, ratio was we're going to remove two pages for every page that's added. So it was a trimming down. And, and if if you want to get lost in minutia and tediousness, read administrative law. In fact, I wouldn't take it in law school because I I just I knew I would be terrible at it. Because if you read administrative law, it talk about getting down into the weeds. Yeah. You know, if you're a, if you're a farmer, go to the Department of Agriculture and try to make your way through their yeah. rules. All right. So, can you? Is it possible to just quickly explain? Because we um, because uh, the Chevron case. Is there any quick way to sum that up? Well, it is kind of hard to sum up, but I will say this: what is called Chevron defense, uh, deference. Chevron deference is, it goes back to a 1984 case. And what the, I think the, 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 the uh, justices kind of threw up their hands and said, you know, we don't like to get down in the weeds with this stuff. And if a federal agency, an administrative agency can show us that they had some reasonable reason for deciding that they're going to interpret a law the way they're interpreting it, then the court would stay out of their business. But And the only way the federal law or the uh, Supreme Court would take a case involving an administrative law issue was if the, the plaintiff bringing the case was able to show that the interpretation of the law by this particular administrative agency was unreasonable. Well, who decides what's reasonable and unreasonable? Uh, that is a very difficult standard, and I think that that's where these agencies have gotten away with a lot of this craziness yeah. is they come up, they interpret a statute a certain way to come after you, and then they give some quote-unquote plausible reason why they're doing it. Yeah, and there's no way to push back, as we yeah. said, and then they're there on inordinate, incredible fines harm, punishment, and it's not a law. So basically, whatever the details of the Chevron case are further, it means that the court is going to put a stop to a lot of that if they decide the way we think they're going to. They will take away a lot of the power of these administrative agencies if the plaintiff succeeds. Well, and so that's, even though we, this won't make headlines, it's not very sexy, as they say in the news business. It's a very important case, and it is a huge reason why the left is so determined uh, to undermine and destroy this court uh, on that case alone. Well, there you go. I hope you know you went to school today, you had pencil and paper, and you learned a lot. Uh, but I hope you'll share the podcast with others. It's Sandy Rios 24-7. Bruce, sweetheart, thank you. Thank you for having me. And um, don't forget, you can call us at 662-821-2040. This has been Sandy Rios and her... (laughs) (laughs) on Sandy Rios 24-7.